it was affecting them and going to affect the, the nation, the whole nation right then. But it was something that would also be brought back, be revisited, and affect the church. It would affect in a, in a restoration way, God taking some of the elements of the worship that they experienced in the tabernacle, in David's tabernacle, and bringing that to pass in the New Testament church. So it's good for us to understand it. It's good for us to study it. It's good for us to see what was the tabernacle. Why was it different than what was going on before? What portions of the tabernacle are being restored even now? What was restored, what's being restored? All those kind of questions are important to us if we're going to participate in what God is doing. If we're really going to participate in the work that He's bringing about. That we can set some expectations. We can set some, some ways of seeing what God is doing. To, to look and know what to pray into. To look and to actively participate in what God is bringing about. And, and so this is a part of that restoration. This story that we're looking at, this account of what we're looking at, is the beginnings of it. It's the beginnings of this new era. It's the beginnings of this new thing that God is going to do. And there's a good lesson in here because ultimately, as the, as the ark is moved, as the tabernacle is built, and as people begin to worship, a new kind of worship is ushered in, a new kind of service is ushered in, and there's literally a new way to understand and participate in the kingdom of God. That's what's going on. And so this incident that takes place here is important and it's an important part of us understanding how that's going to be ushered in. Now, most of the time, people read the story of Uzzah, or Uzzah, or whatever you want to call him, and they read it and they think, wow, that's kind of harsh, right? And I mean, that, that's the typical reaction to the story. Because if you don't know the story, what happens is, is that they're moving the ark on a cart. And it's being drawn by oxen. And as they're moving the ark, they, they enter into a threshing floor, and this is likely going to be some place that they were going to pause with the ark and let it rest or let the animals rest. Something was about to happen, but they moved it into the threshing floor, and the Bible says that, it, and literally it says, that the oxen shook the ark. Alright? Whether or not that meant they stumbled or whether something else happened, the ark shook. And so Uzzah well-meaning as he was, put his hand out to steady the ark on the cart. And when he put his hand out to steady the ark on the cart, God was displeased with him touching it and showed his displeasure by striking him dead right where he stood and he died right by the ark. And so the reaction most people have to that is a real misunderstanding of what took place. Because the reaction most of us would have to that is, well, that seems really excessive. Now, I want to challenge that immediately. I want to challenge that immediately. Because if God did it, if God reached out and He accomplished this thing, whatever you want to see it as, whatever you want to understand it as, that's what He did. I want to challenge you that it was necessary, and I want to challenge you that it was right, and I want to challenge you that it was something that needed to happen for what was about to happen after this to take place. What was that? That the ark ultimately would make it to Jerusalem, that the tabernacle would be built, that a new era of worship would be instituted, a new era of service would be instituted, and a new way of participating in the kingdom was about to come to pass. And if this was a necessary part of it, if this was a necessary part of the journey, then we need to understand a little bit more about it than just judging it and, and, by the way, judging God as being too harsh. Because that judgment will ultimately, hear me, will ultimately keep you from participating in what God is doing. It just will. And so i got a message for all you do-gooders tonight. 
I got a message for all you control freaks tonight. I got a message for all you people with the best intentions that I just don't give a rip about anything I just said. Alright? I don't care if you got great intentions. I don't care if you're a do-gooder. I don't care if you're a control freak. But I do have a message for you. And the message I have for you is that these personality traits that you may possess are hindrances for you entering into and participating in what God is doing. They just are. And I know you don't want to hear that. I know you don't want to hear that this is a problem because you like who you are and you like being the way you are and all the rest of those kind of things. And you can tell me 18 ways, 20 ways that that serves you for the best. Because I hear it all the time. Well, you know, being a control freak sure comes in handy sometimes. Yeah, maybe. Being a do-gooder sure, sure gives me right. You know, serves me right most of the time. It might. Having the best intentions goes a long way. I mean, people are very forgiving if you got the right intentions. That could be true. But any of those three things, as much as you want to justify them, as much as you want to explain to me why you are justified in not dealing with them, each one of those may, may hinder you from entering into what God is doing. Just letting you know. And I want you to really concentrate on what I'm telling you tonight. I mean, just really just concentrate on it. And see if God might challenge something, might speak something to you, might lead you to some kind of a change somehow, some way. Because I know I talk about these things sometimes, but I really want to emphasize this tonight. I really want you to hear me emphasizing this tonight. Because I believe God is doing some things right now. Even in the midst of all of this crud that we're going through, I believe God is doing certain things right now that we really need to be a part of. We want to be a part of what's coming out on the other side of this. I, and, and I want to encourage you along with that. But these other things I'm talking about, these three things specifically I'm talking about, they will hinder you really entering in to what God is doing right now. And so we're better off without them. Every single one of us, we're better off without them. Okay, let's look and see what they're saying. So Uzzah, Uzzah, Uzzah was a Levite. Alright? And as a Levite, he was trained and he was schooled in stuff that you do as a Levite and in stuff you don't do as a Levite. He had been trained and schooled in that since he was old enough to know. Since he was old enough to hear it, since he was old enough to receive it, since he was old enough to have any kind of an understanding about what was expected of him and how it was expected. You all remember how the Levites were chosen? The original choosing of the Levites by Moses? When he says, these, okay, the Levites, these are going to be God's, they're going to be the ones that are going to serve God, they're going to be closest to me. And they're going to serve the priests. Remember how he chose them? How did he do it? The Levites are the ones who would uh, kill the other Israelites when they were worshiping the golden calf. Yeah. Yeah, Moses gave a command. He's like, yeah, you need to kill these people. And then the rest of Israel looked at him and said, we can't kill our brothers. We can't do this thing. And the Levites rose up and they just did it. And they, they just went to town on it. And in doing so, they showed a loyalty and they showed a fidelity toward God and toward Moses that he didn't see in the other tribes of Israel. That these men, these these Levites, were willing to rise up even against their own brothers in order to do what God had told them to do. They were really serious about it. And so because they were willing to do that, Moses looked at them and said, I want you guys closest to me. Because they were people that he understood that he would be able to count on. And there's more to that story than that, but that's the basis of the story. That's the basics of the story. That's how the Levites were chosen. And it could have been the, 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 the people of Judah. It could have been any of those other people. All right? But it was the Levites who responded in such a way that Moses was moved 
through their response and place them and assign them the jobs that they had. And so based on that, these men, they had been trained from the time that they were children in who they were. They had been trained from the time they were children in what was expected of them. They were trained from the time they were children to understand what their duties were and what their duties were not in, in concerning the things of God, concerning serving the priests, concerning serving the ark, and all the rest of those things altogether. They had been trained. So understand that. These aren't people that didn't know what was up. So Uzzah, Uzzah, whatever, he was not unfamiliar with what was expected of him. He was not unfamiliar with what was the requirements on him. He wasn't unfamiliar with what he could do. He was not unfamiliar with what he could not do. Alright, so he knew that. So just fair, to be fair, he understood who he was. He's a Levite. And he was trained. So let's start right there. So they stopped at the threshing floor of Nacon, and it says the oxen shook the ark. That's the literal translation of it. They shook the ark. Well, why? how did they shake the ark? Well, some of your Bibles say they stumbled. Well, that's just an interpretation of that. They could have just leaned over to eat something off the ground, and that shook the ark. It could have been that they were distracted by something that was on the threshing floor, and that shook the ark. It could have been anything, all right? But somehow the oxen, through some action that they took, shook the ark that was on the cart. Now, Uzzah reacted to that. He sees the cart shake. He sees the ark on the cart shake because the oxen did something to shake it. And so he reacted to that. And so what does he do? He tries to help God out. That's what he tries to do. So he sees the situation. He's standing there. He sees what's about to happen. Shaky, shaky, shaky. Now what he thinks about to happen. And so he tries to help God out. So that's the, the thing that happens. And again, attention all control freaks. Attention all do-gooders. You hear me? Alright, so he is, he's watching something happen and so he makes a presumption. He anticipates what's going to happen next. He looks at it and he says, alright, so the cart is shaking, the ark is shaking, so let me put my hand out and let me steady the ark. Now, It doesn't say the ark was falling. It doesn't say the ark was coming off the cart. It doesn't say the cart was tipping over. It doesn't say that doom was imminent. Alright? All it says is that they shook the cart. They shook the ark on the cart. And so Uzzah presumed, made a presumption, an assumption about what was about to happen. And so he put his hand out to steady the ark. And you could say, just in case. Just in case. So just in case God needed his help, he was on it. Just in case, worst case happened, he was on it. Just in case, what he feared was going to take place, he put his hand out to stop it. Because the worst thing that could possibly happen to Uzzah was that that fear would come to pass. I want to encourage you that just because you fear something doesn't mean that's the worst thing that could come to pass. Because sometimes we fear things that are irrational. And I I hope you understand that. That's where phobias come from. You know that word, phobia? And then they have have prefixes on phobia. Alright? It could be anything. If you're claustrophobic, what does that mean? Yeah. 
Well, really, if there's room enough for you to be in there, is there any reason to be afraid? No. no. It's irrational. It's irrational. There's lots of irrational fears like that. Right? And in about as many things as you can possibly think of being afraid of, there's probably some kind of a clinical fear, irrational fear for it. Now, unfortunately, in our society, we've really shied away from calling things irrational fears. We just want to understand them and give people their space. But sometimes we really need to call stuff for what it is, and it is irrational. Sometimes we really need to call stuff for what it is, and it's something to be overcome. Like when I was a kid, we used to try to overcome our irrational fears. If you were afraid of heights, you wouldn't you jumped off the high diving board. Why? Because you're overcoming the fear. We had the misguided belief that if you overcome irrational fear, you might be stronger at the other side of it. And so, you know, those of us that were afraid of heights, that maybe there were people who were afraid of heights, go up there and jump off the high board. And, and we just keep jumping off the high board until we felt okay about it. And then there were other things that we would do in order to deal with some of those things. And we, we had that belief that if you could get past these irrational fears, you're going to be stronger the next day. And I still believe that. I still believe it. And, and it doesn't matter. You look at whatever those fears are. And we all have something, usually. You know, a person has something irrational, something that's in their life that they're afraid of. And you, you, the, the more of those things that you can get past, the more of those things that you can actually live through and show yourself that it's not the end of the world, it's not the worst thing that could possibly happen, that it's okay, the stronger you're going to be on the other side. Now, Uzzah, obviously he had a fear. What did he fear about the ark? What was going to happen? It's going to fall over, right? Not on my watch. Uh-uh. And I'm going to do something about it. Put his hand out to stop her from falling. Now the ark, kind of an interesting thing because the ark brought so much blessing to Israel that the Philistines stole it. No. It was such a blessing to Israel. In other words, great crops, um, victory in battle, just blessing after blessing after blessing. And to those that are humble, to those of faith, to those that are, are serving God. I mean, the ark was a, a source of rich blessings and miracles. It represented the presence of God. I mean, two bodies of water rolled back and they walked across on dry ground when they brought the ark in. Yeah, the Red Sea. Well, I'm not going to say that. What I'm going to say is when they crossed the Jordan, that's what I'm going to say. When they crossed the Jordan, because this is what I'm thinking of, this is what's in my head. When they crossed the Jordan, what you saw when they crossed the Jordan was that the priests put their feet into the water, and as they put their feet into the water, the waters rolled back. And what's significant about that is that they sent the ark first. But it didn't just roll back because it saw the ark, it was when the priests had put their feet into the water that the water actually rolled back and so their feet had to get wet. Their feet had to actually touch that thing that was going to roll back. And that was a part of the experience of the ark. That was a part of the experience of what they were trying to do with the ark. And what the ark represented is that it was hands-on as far as it needed to be in the midst of God's people. It needed to be in the midst of their troubles. It needed to be in the midst of their victories. It needed to be in the midst of who they were. And their whole camp was around the tabernacle. Their whole camp had to do with that tabernacle experience. And so every tribe lined up and found their camp around that tabernacle, around that presence of God. And it, it, He dwelled in the midst of His people. He dwelled right in the middle of who they were. Some things just never change about that. And so understanding the ark was meant to be in the midst of God's people is to understand really the heart of God on the matter. And the ark was to be with God's people. The ark was to be in the midst of their troubles. It was to be in the midst of their blessings. It was to be in the midst of all of those things. But to those that humbled themselves, to those of faith, it was immeasurable blessing. That's what it was. 
And so the Philistines stole it because they wanted the same blessing. Now, they didn't give blessing. They got hemorrhoids. <laughs> no, literally, that's what happened. They took the ark and they got hemorrhoids. To the point, they sent the ark back because it was causing so much trouble on them. So much trouble. And if you've ever had hemorrhoids, you understand why they're sending it back. They're sending it back. And, and I mean, that was it. They didn't want anymore. Because it wasn't a blessing to them. Because it wasn't from them being humble. It wasn't from them being, you know, people of faith. And so it wasn't the same for them. God's presence is like that. Because you think about God's presence, you think about how to a person of faith, to a person who's humble, a person who has a love and a heart for God, His presence is, is immeasurably awesome. It's valuable. It's more valuable than gold, more valuable than anything else. It's more valuable than anything we could possibly come up with to actually dwell, live, and experience His presence. There's nothing like it. Nothing. But to those that aren't operating in humility, who aren't operating in faith, the presence of God can be a terrifying thing. Just can. And you see that in the Bible. You see what happens to people in the Bible when they find themselves in the presence of God, but they're not living that kind of faith-driven life, that, that humility-driven life. They're not living that way. And the presence of God all of a sudden becomes scary. Adam and Eve, when they were they're just living and doing and being who God created them to be, and he walked through the cool of the garden. No problem, man. They talk. They do whatever they need to do. But the minute that they went out and they decided, okay, we're going to use the tree of knowledge good and evil, we're going to disobey. And they began living their disobedience. God came in the, walking in the garden and they're hiding from him because they're afraid of him. Well, two different ways of seeing God. Same people. One day apart. Same people. A few hours apart. One day... They're, they're running to him and talking to him and finding grace and fellowship with him. The next day, they're hiding behind the bushes because they were ashamed that they were naked. They were afraid of him. What changed? Not God. What changed? It wasn't the Garden of Eden that changed. It was Adam and Eve that changed. There was something wrong with how they were responding. Something wrong in their disobedience that caused a different response when they were confronted and when they came into the presence of God. So this ark represents that presence. And what David is trying to do is trying to bring the presence to the tabernacle because he wants people to learn to worship differently. He wants people to learn to experience God differently. He wants people to begin to take hold of what it is to have a personal relationship, a, a personal God being not just one man, with a with a heart with a man after God's own heart, but to be a nation of men and women after God's own heart. That's what he was ushering in. And so here we have the ark, which can be such incredible blessing for those that were humble and even bold in their faith. But then the ark could also be and I want you to see death unto death of the people who treated it wrongly. The Philistines treated it wrongly, but you think about the Philistines, they weren't educated in anything. They weren't taught. All they saw was this ark, this presence of God, and they saw that, wow, you know, they, these are, think about this, the people of idols, right? And so they see this box covered in gold with cherubim on the top of it, and they look at it and they say, all right, well, yeah, see, they get blessed by that. We see they, they get provisioned by that. We see they have victory in battle by that. Let's steal that. We'll steal it, and then we'll get the same things ourselves. Well, that's maybe how idols work. I don't know. So they steal it, and they don't get that. They get hemorrhoids. And they say, all right, we've got to get rid of this thing because this ain't working. However they thought it was going to work, didn't work. And so they go, all right, well, let's give it back. So they, they send it on the road. 
had a couple of oxen or mules or whatever, or oxen, and they, they whipped the oxen and they said, go on down the road. We're not even going back with you. And so they sent it into a border town under their own power. And then as they sent it to the border town, and went along with the hemorrhoids, the golden hemorrhoids and the mice and everything else, they come as rather than dealing with that ark in an inappropriate way. And so the ark would have to be treated in certain ways or be death unto death to those who treated it wrongly. And that's what happened. That's what happened. So to most of us, what happens with us here is this. This is an obvious moment to most of us. What? That we should help out. I want to, I want to challenge that in you though. It's not an obvious moment. It's only an obvious moment if you're living in a certain set of ideas beforehand. If you have certain preconceived notions about what should be obvious and what shouldn't be obvious. Because as it turns out, it wasn't a really obvious moment where others' help was required. It wasn't. He only thought that. He only saw it that way. And we should all take note as to how many times you've ever read this passage and thought to yourself, why was he so harsh on this guy? He was only trying to help. Now you should take note of that in your own self. Because you're sharing in his folly when you do that. You are sharing in Uzzah's folly by agreeing with his action. Now how do you know his action was wrong? He got struck dead immediately. How many times in the Bible people get struck dead immediately? Not too often. It's just not too often. That's, that's a rare occurrence in the Bible where somebody just does something and just gets struck dead immediately. Now you should take note of that as this. What he did was really, really wrong. And so any momentary agreement that you have with what he did, you should really take note of. Any moment where you're thinking, well, that seems really harsh. Take note of that. Because he was really, really, really wrong in what he did because he got struck dead immediately, which is a rare occurrence. And you see people doing wrong stuff all the time in the Bible. And then all you see God's grace all over it. You see God's grace all over stuff that people do in the Bible all the time. I mean, even just since we're talking about it, what about David? David did wrong stuff. He committed murder. He committed murder, and he wasn't struck dead immediately. Alright? It didn't happen. He lost the son over it, but he wasn't struck dead immediately. And so understand that God's grace is a lot bigger than our mistakes. God's grace is a lot bigger than stuff that we end up in. And God's grace is so much bigger than, than what we find ourselves in. But I want you to hear this. This was really bad by any measure. And so I want to encourage you to learn from it. I want to encourage you to purge yourself of these characteristics, if you can. Because any agreement with Uzzah is really, really wrong. Just telling you. So what happens? So first of all, as I said before, he feared, he feared that the ark would be overturned. Now think about that. He had good intentions, right? But what was his good intentions based on? His fear. His fear. If he never feared the ark was going to be overturned, would he have reached out to try to stop it? No. And so what was driving this, what was driving his action, what was driving what was taking place there was fear. Fear. And when fear drives stuff, and as a Christian, I want you to hear this, as fear drives stuff in our lives, bad decisions are made. That's how we come into places of bad decisions. We start fearing something. could be irrational, mostly irrational. And that leads to bad decisions. 
You know, I hear people say, well, fear can be a good thing. Uh, not really. I mean, there's certain things that we have certain body reactions to. Like, you know, all of a sudden cortisol starts pumping because something happens. And if you ever had a near-miss experience where, like, somebody just misses your car hitting it or something, your heart goes, and all of a sudden you're wired up like you just had four monsters or something. Well, that's a cortisol reaction to a fight-or-flight situation. And that's natural. That's human being-wise, all right? But people who are in those situations, people who live in those situations, like people in the military, people in law enforcement, people that are part of uh, emergency medical situations, things like that, people that face those situations learn to think through those situations and not react every time or most of the time to whatever their natural body response is. Think about it. What guy do you want treating you at a car accident? You want the guy freaking out? Or you want the calm guy that's making decisions about stuff that needs to get done and getting you the medical treatment that you need? Which guy? Right? Which guy do you want Coming onto a scene, let's say with an active shooter, which policeman do you want? The guy screaming at the top of his lungs, running back and forth, all crazy like? Or do you want the calm guy? It's directing traffic, telling people what to do, and taking care of the situation. You follow what I'm saying? That we have a natural body response, but that doesn't need to dictate the day. And I mean, I'm not talking about you standing in front of a train and you got one coming at you and you need to jump out of the way. Jump! Go ahead. But don't jump into the path of another train. Alright? You know, somebody's about to hit you on a bicycle, don't jump into the road and get run down by a bus. Decisions still need to be made in those situations. And we still need to have the wits about us to go ahead and make the correct decision even in the midst of something like that. I mean, you think about it. Like you're driving in a car, and you got a car pulling into you. What's your first reaction? What's your first reaction when a car's pulling into you? Pull away. Pull away. Yeah, but what could be in the lane next to you? Car. Right. So is it worth a split second looking in your mirror before you, turn, before you hit the, the go left? Yeah, it's worth it. Because you might cause a bigger accident by swerving than you would getting brushed along the side of your car. And so you got to make a better decision than that. So I'm encouraging you that irrational fear does not lead you to good decisions at all. Fear does not lead you into good decisions. It just doesn't. And so we have to fight that. And we have to learn to fight that. We have to learn to fight against fear in our lives. And if we don't learn to fight against fear in our lives... We will be a victim and a slave to it the rest of our lives. And I want to encourage you, you don't have to be. You do not have to be a slave to fear. You do not have to be a victim of fear your whole life. You can make a better decision. Uzzah here, he feared the ark was going to fall. Therefore, therefore, based on his fear that it was going to to fall he reached out and he did something to help it out and this is where the do-gooder part comes in because it's a reflex the do-gooder part comes in it's where a lot of what I was the control freak part comes in the best intentions part comes in it's all right here because you could say Uzza had good intentions except for he was basing his action on a false premise because he was basing his action on fear you could say that the reflex that he had he was going to do good by helping that ark not fall over except for the assumption that it was going to fall over was based on his fear not on reality see that's the problem you say well he had the best intentions did he? did he? Or was it was his intention to somehow alleviate his irrational fear? Follow? You see, here's the problem. 
The problem with Uzzah was that he had a false premise to start with. He reacted to that false premise and it got him killed. That's what happened. As good intentioned as you might think it was, as, as do-gooder as it appeared, you know, as, 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 uh, as well, we're going to take control of this situation as it may appear that he was doing, it was the wrong decision. How do I know it was the wrong decision? Because he, he's dead. He's dead. And so we know all of those things are false. All of those things are the wrong decision. Now, what really comes, what really has to come out of this is, well, what can you learn from that? What can I learn from that? Because we all say, we're all like, yeah, I want to be a part of what God's doing. Right? I want to be a part. I want to be a part of the next wave of God. I want to be a part of, of, of the, the ushering in of the kingdom in this new way, this new worship, this, this new way of going about things, seeing things, seeing God and all the rest of those kind of I want to be a part of that. Okay? Well, there's certain things you can't enter into that with. And Oz is a great example of those things that you cannot enter into that with. The biggest thing you cannot enter into any move of God with is fear. Because every move of God is weird. Every move of God is different. Every move of God requires us to stand and to do what needs to be done regardless of what everybody else is doing. Because if we just did what everybody else is doing, there'd never be a move of God. They'd just be the same old, same old. Because that's what everybody's doing. And that's what they're all trying to preserve. That's what they're all trying to make sure it doesn't change. The move of God requires people to stand against that and to be different. It requires people, men and women, they'll say, yeah, I don't care what you guys are doing over there. This is what God is doing and this is what I'm going to be a part of. And actually stand for that and actually live it and do it. You can't do that in fear. It doesn't work. None of that works. And so there has to be something greater in us. Something greater than fear. Something greater than the same old, same old. Something greater than the safety of what it is to be in agreement with everybody else. Why can't you just be like everybody else? Because I can't. Because I won't. And I'd be willing to stand there and say that and do that. So fear has no place if we're going to move with God. It just does not. Fear is the part of us that leads us to wrong thinking. It leads us to wrong action. And we can't, we, we can't entertain it. We can't coddle it. We can't excuse it. It can't just be, oh, well, that's just the way it is. Well, it's the way it shouldn't be. And we need to stop. So also, he's got his fear. He's got his perception. He's got his feeling, you know, a momentary feeling. This thing's going to fall. Alright? So that's his perception. That's his feeling. And so he took a precaution to keep it from falling, but it wasn't necessary. It was only necessary in his mind because of his fear. And so he took a precaution, and in doing so, he interfered interfered with the kingdom of God. And you might think, well, this is small and trivial. Is it? Is it? Or is this life-taking from all of us? It's life-taking. If you live in fear, you forfeit your life. If you live in fear, living as a slave is no life at all. It just is not. And so I want to encourage you that it's not trivial and it's not little. That's a lie of the enemy. The lie of the enemy is always, well, that doesn't matter, right? Oh, that won't hurt anything. That little thing? You worried about that? Don't worry about that. It'll be alright. That's a lie of the enemy. Because it's some of those things, some of those little things that matter. Some of those little things, those little decisions that make a big difference. How many things in our life 
Right? Things are going okay. And then one day we make a small decision. But it's that small decision that changes the course of how things are going in our life. Seriously. Not a big deal. Yeah, it is, actually. Not that important. Uh, yeah, it's kind of key, actually. Because it represents something and it, it is something that is bigger than just maybe that little thing that we're looking at. And in Oz's case, this was a big deal. It was a big deal what happened here. And what he represents to us are all of those things that we have in us. What he represents in us is that fear that we have. What he represents in us is that, that dread that's in us, that irrational fear that we allow to dictate how we operate. We allow to dictate how we react to situations. We allow to dictate our action and what we actually do. And that's a powerful thing. A powerful thing. I mean, how, how big is the gap between speaking that word of prophecy over somebody and not? How big is that gap? It's like really, really small, isn't it? As far as we're concerned, I mean, you could be on the verge of making that decision and then what, what could cause you not to? Anything, right? A thousand reasons not to. It's like this really small thing and yet that could be life-changing in the person that we give that word to. Who are we to figure that? Who are we to calculate that out? Oh yeah, I didn't give that word because I don't know. I'm kind of tired. Or, you know, I just I don't know. I had to go to the bathroom and then I couldn't concentrate. Whatever. Yeah. But we're not we're not really good at figuring that stuff out, so So what happens here? God strikes him down. And and understand what happens here when God struck him down. It stopped the procession. Here you got a joyful procession going. Right? You got a joyful procession going. They're getting the ark back to Jerusalem, what they're supposed to do. Everything's going great. All of a sudden, this guy, Uzzah, does what he does. He gets struck dead, and everything just stops. Everything just stops. I mean, what a ruiner, right? I mean, I know he's dead. He doesn't care, but, I mean, you got, you got joyful procession going on. You got progress being made. And everything just stops because this guy is just dead. Yeah. Why is he dead? Because of his fear. What kind of fear? Irrational fear. Well, what was he doing? Well, he had good intentions. He was going to control the situation. And he was doing good. Do-gooder. Yeah. All raw. All raw. He took a precaution on something that wasn't happening. Made it up. Did something about something didn't need any doing about. And now he's dead, and everybody's sad. There goes the joy, there goes the procession, there goes there, the parade over. Go home. And the ark just stayed there, too, for a while. It stopped. It stopped. What was taking place is going to take place in Jerusalem, at least for a little while. It stopped it. David's tabernacle, the new worship, the ushering in of the kingdom, all that. Stop. Don't put that on hold. Why? Because people want to live in their fear. They do. People want to live in their fear. People want to control their lives. People want to be do-gooders or whatever because at least that's something that they can judge and say, oh, I'm a good person or whatever it is that causes that. I have no idea. Instead of what God has really ordained. And now here's the part you've heard before. You ready? Here's the part you've heard before. Here it is. It may be time to change your mind and instead of living by reflexes, just do what God tells you to do. It just might be time for that. And that's what Uzzah needed to know. That's what he needed to figure out is that this was not a time for him to be, you know, reacting. It wasn't a time for him to be going by reflex. It wasn't him to be living in his fear. It wasn't time for him to be trying to figure it out or trying to 
anticipate what was going to happen, what might happen, and all the rest of those kind of things. This is a time for him to live in obedience. Now, let me tell you something, too, that was messed up about this story that you may not have picked up on. The ark of God wasn't supposed to be carried on an ox cart. It was to be carried by the Levites. They were to bear the ark on their shoulders and carry it. It was the Philistines that put it on the cart. And instead of picking that ark up and carrying it the way it was supposed to be carried, they left it on the cart like the Philistines did. And so if they had picked it up and carried it the way it was supposed to be carried, every Levite knew that. Every Levite knew how the ark was supposed to be carried. In addition, the ark was to be covered before it was carried. So they wouldn't be touched. And so there was supposed to be a covering on it, and it was supposed to be carried off people's shoulders, and it was supposed to be taken back to Jerusalem that way. Yet here they were on an ox cart, no cover, just kind of rolling along back to Jerusalem. And so in a bigger sense, there was a little bit more that was messed up than just us reaching out to do to help it out. Because that situation would have never occurred had they done what they were supposed to do from the start. Just wouldn't have. But they didn't do what they were supposed to do from the start. They didn't cover it. They didn't bear it on their shoulders. They didn't carry it the way it was supposed to be carried. And here they were. Us is dead. Progress is stopped. And so I wanted to say that. I wanted to say that because I wanted to say that God has a way of doing things. And we need to get in line with it. Every single one of us. And how He does things. And it matters. It matters. His order matters. In ways that we can't even understand. But I'm going to tell you something. Order, order will keep you out of a mess of trouble. It will. You get into God's order. You get into His plan for your life. You get into doing things the way He wants them done. That will keep you out of a mess of trouble in your life. I know this. It keeps me out of a mess of trouble in my life. As much trouble as I've been in, I'd have been in a whole lot more if I hadn't been for God's order in my life. And so I encourage you to find that order for your life and live in it. Even though it's hard sometimes. Sometimes it's boring. Sometimes it's not what you want to be doing at the time. Sometimes you got something better you'd like to be doing. Sometimes it just seems like, oh yeah, I'm stuck in this thing. Well, maybe you are for now. But that order will serve you well as you serve God. Because that's the way He makes things. That's the way He does things. And it makes sense. It makes sense. And so I encourage you toward that. And so what was required of Uzzah? This is where I'm, this is where I'm going to end it. What was required of him was submission and trust and obedience. That's what was required. Submission, trust, and obedience versus good intentions. Submission, trust, and obedience will beat good intentions every time. They trump good intentions every single time. Obedience, trust, and submission will trump control freak every time. It just does. That those qualities in our life, that's how kingdom gets done. Just how it gets done. And he was missing all of those. All of those. Every single one of them. And so because he was missing those things, he serves as a good example about us. It may be time to change our minds. I mean, I look at this guy and it's like, 
Did he die in vain? Not if we all can change our minds. No. Not if the people that were watching that, not if the people that saw that could change their minds. No, he didn't die in vain. But we need to make those kind of decisions in our life. We need to come to those places in our life that we might need to change our minds about what is obvious. What we allow our reflexes to rule over. Because what we think and what we want to say is obvious may not be obvious. Maybe our reflexes are wrong. Maybe the, the idea that we have to do whatever our fear tells us is wrong, maybe we can rule over that. And I want to encourage you that we can. And we can rule over fear in our life. God, God gives us that opportunity. He gives us that privilege. He gives us that right that we can rule over that kind of fear in our life. I want to take a few moments and just give you an opportunity to lay some of that out with God tonight. That that you, we, can lay out some of our fear and get some victory. Because I'm asking for victory tonight. I'm asking for victory over fear and whatever tendencies you have in your life, whether it's to control things or be a do-gooder, or rely on your good intentions or whatever it is that's in your head I, I, I pray that God sets you free I do and I pray that you can actively reject that in your life we need one thing and that's do what he says submit to him do what he says trust him I mean faith is all in that love is all in that grace is all in that all those things are working together but God calls us to a place where we hear Him, we fellowship with Him, we spend enough time with Him that we move forward in His will and His purpose and His plan. He says it, and we do it. Heavenly Father, I pray that You begin to deal with fear in our hearts and fear in our minds. Whether I say irrational fear or just fear, I I pray you would deal with that in us. Because God, I pray that we would be able to walk in such a way that we are not controlled by our fear. We are not controlled and directed by the fear that might be in our heart or that might be in our mind. But God, I pray that you would set us free. Set us free of Fearing set us free of all that drives in our life, our tendencies toward control or our tendencies toward doing good or whatever it is, just making stuff up, our tendencies toward relying on our good intentions, whatever that is. I pray you'd set us free in Jesus' name. Because we don't need to make anything up. You direct, you lead, you guide. You tell us. And your timing is perfect. That when it's the right time and it's the right place and the right person, you let us know and you're faithful about it. And so God, I ask you that you set us free from that tyranny, that fear, that tyranny where we just make things up And set us free, God, to live with, to abide with, to fellowship with, and to respond to you. Yeah, I pray. I pray, because God, we, we want to see your new thing. We do. We want to see your kingdom in new ways in us and through us. We want to participate in that kingdom in new ways. We want to participate in worship and a restoration, a more full restoration of worship, God. We want to participate, Lord, in a more full restoration and understanding of Your presence in our lives. We want to participate in what You're doing in the world today. 
what you have going on, where you have it going on. We want to participate in a real way on the front end of God, where you're at, what you're doing. And we know that's not going to happen in fear. We know that's not going to happen because we're making something up. I pray that we would find a place of peace and rest and be able to tune in to what Your Holy Spirit is saying, what Your Holy Spirit is doing, how Your Holy Spirit is leading. And that, Father, we take our cues, we base our actions on Him, not on us. Have Your way, God. Set Your people free. Set Your people free. Thanks, Lord. So we ask it in Jesus' name. We must say an amen. 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 UCF and Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community that. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah.